Jodie Chesney's family came to the park where the 17-year-old was stabbed to death to pay their respects. Her mother, Claire, brought flowers and lit a candle to remember her daughter. The family's never be the same again. Over the last four days, we've had four homicides in our city, a number of other incidents of serious violence. The police are working incredibly hard with my full support. It's been a harrowing day for Jaden Moody's family. The 14-year-old was riding a moped on the night he was killed. The prosecution alleged he was involved in drug dealing for a London gang. Knife crime in England and Wales hit a record high in 2019, up by 7% on the previous year. In the 12 months to June, there were 235 knife murders and 412 attempted murders. A disproportionate number of victims and perpetrators are young and disadvantaged. It's destroying lives and striking fear into many communities. Welcome to LSEIQ. I'm Joanna Bale and this is the podcast where we ask leading social scientists and other experts to answer an intelligent question. In this episode, I ask, how do we stop knife crime? The story begins in Tottenham, North London, with a grieving mother. At least four youths are thought to have been involved in the attack. Amherst Park is busy even in the early hours of the morning. The family are urging anyone who knows anything to help them get justice for their son. I'm Yvonne Lawson and my son Godwin Lawson, at the age of 17, um, was stabbed in Stamford Hill and he died within two minutes. So Godwin, just talking about Godwin was a kind, warm, bubbly, very sporty young man and had so much to live for. When he was 16, um, once he finished his GCSEs, he did win a scholarship. So he won a scholarship to play football at Oxford United Academy. So that means Godwin had to move away from London and live in Oxford. And he would occasionally come to London and visit family and friends. And 27th of March, 2010, he arrived in London and would always go to Stamford Hill because that's where we used to live um, before we moved to Enfield. He met up with um, some of his old friends that he had known from secondary school um, and Godwin would always refer to this time as his gossip time and catch-up time. As they were walking um, to one of his friends' house near Stamford Hill, there was a little bit of a fight because one of his friends, um, we got to know, had a problem with a few of the local boys. Four of the boys saw Godwin's group. Um, they parked on the side road and got out of the car and started to chase Godwin's group. One of them had a knife on him and started to stab all the boys. Um, Godwin did run away from the scenery. Um, for some reason, he decided to come back and stop the fight. At this stage, the boy that had a knife said, it's nothing to do with you, stay away. Uh, as he was saying, stay away from, from you know, stay away from this. The, the knife, unfortunately, just went to Godwin's heart. And with st one stab wound, he didn't survive his injuries. 
So Godwin was just in the wrong place at the wrong time, trying to protect his friends Daniel and Julian Borgia, who were both stabbed multiple times but survived. Yvonne was later told that it was a tragic culmination of a dispute over a girl. In 2011, Moise of Orga, aged 20 and from Tottenham, was jailed for life for Godwin's murder. The judge told of Orga that he clearly started the attack and brought the knife to the scene. He sentenced him to a minimum of 19 years. Yvonne told me how her son's death inspired her and her husband Calvin to set up a charitable foundation in Godwin's memory to try to stop knife crime. To actually lose a child through such tragic circumstance is just beyond comprehensible. And to, for a police officer to actually knock on your door and tell you that your child has taken their last breath on the street was it's just unimaginable. After going through that, you know, that trauma and the helplessness and the sorrow, the sadness, I was quite intrigued about knife crime and just wanted to find out a little bit more why young people carry knives and why um, knife crime seemed to be on the rise. And the, the, the more I talked to young people, um, I was quite intrigued at how casually young people carried knives and how, you know, knife crime was just closer than I thought. It was closer to my doorstep than I thought. And, and I guess I just, at that stage, wanted to do more. So the first um, reaction was I wanted to set a, a foundation in memory of Godwin. Yvonne gave up her job as a primary school teacher to focus on the foundation's work. Her team works in schools and pupil referral units in North London to target children at risk, particularly those at risk of joining gangs. Obviously, um, I was quite interested in early intervention prevention because um, that's one of the things that I talked about when Godwin lost his life was just to find out from Godwin's teachers and to find out from his coaches whether they knew that Godwin was at risk, whether they knew that Godwin's um, friends that he was associating himself was, with was actually putting him at risk. And the more I talked to teachers, I, I, I did get to find out that, that, yes, he was at risk. And yet nothing got done about it. So one of the things that we do um, is to speak to teachers and head teachers to find that those young people that are likely to be at risk of being victims and perpetrators of knife crime. So once that's identified, um, the teachers use different sources of information to, um, for the identification. So a young person could be at risk, um, for example, because of where they live. Uh, they could be at risk um, because they've got a brother or sister already in a gang. Um, they could be at risk, um, for example, because they might have a boyfriend or girlfriend already in a gang. So that information is already there. Once that's identified, we'll go in and work with those young people. We usually work with 10 young people at a time. 
and we work around activities around um, their confidence building, um, leadership, decision making. So it's all the soft skills that's often kind of ignored in our curriculum. O almost like personal, social, emotional development. That's, that's all the key areas that we really concentrate on. So we do that with young people for six months in a small group setting, away from the classroom setting. And after the six months, we would then take those young people on a residential weekend. So that would be a residential weekend away from the, uh, the uh, environment for them to kind of see another life outside their local environment because most of these young people are quite deprived and have very low um, aspiration. So uh, they would then have a re residential weekend and then after the residential weekend we would work one to, we would do one-to-one -one mentoring with those young people. So we've had real success stories in terms of those young people that could have been excluded and gone down the criminality way at, um, as a result of our um, intervention, actually stayed on at school and chose positive pathways. Yvonne and other organisations working with children at risk have extraordinary success stories to tell. Yet violent knife crime offences across London and other cities keep rising. So what's going on? It's all a bit complex, you know. If we would have an easy solution, we would have solved it already. Tom Kirschmeyer of LSE's Centre for Economic Performance has researched the role of gangs and drugs in knife crime murders. He believes that much of it is rooted in an escalating turf war over a declining street market. And, as in many violent conflicts, innocent people get caught in the crossfire. Professor Kirschmeyer and research assistant Carmen Villalera explain more about the growing market for drugs on the internet that is shrinking demand on the street. You know, we're still trying to fully understand what the causes of it are. One reason, in my opinion, is you know, a technological change in the drug market. So more people buy it on the darknet. So the market on the street is shrinking. So there's a fight for territory. Economists call it uh, contested markets. Um, and so you know, they're fighting for this territory, for these markets. Um, and I think this is in part cause for, for this rising knife crime. You know, the, the dark web is a bit like you, you buy, it's like Amazon, next day delivery. Um, you buy it with your, with your bitcoins, you're very hard to detect. It's in fact almost impossible to detect with, with standard technical means. Um, they feel very safe in these markets and you just buy your drugs and they're delivered next day. Um, it's reasonably low risk. We also know that they're super efficient. The review system works very well. And so quality and the quality price relationship is much better online. Um, so you can, you can put your five star review, can you, on your suppliers? It's exactly like Amazon. <laughs> so you get a good review. And then from surveys, we know that actually in the UK, the switch to the dark web was probably faster than in other markets. And this is maybe why we see this, this trend now ahead of other cities around the world. It's just because you had to switch earlier. And so who are the people, how, who are the people behind that, that, um, that market, the dark web market, market, and how do they differ to the people on the streets? 
Well, so these are, in both cases, you know, organized by organized crime groups. Mm-hmm. So the drug markets are motivated by profit. Um, and the profit margins are quite high along the value chain. And this is why there's this huge fight mm-hmm. uh, for these markets, because it's just very profitable. Now, obviously, the street market is organized by organized crime gangs. And the dark web market, too, is just you have much fewer people on the dark web. Uh, it's a much more slick operation. Probably uh, more sophisticated. More sophisticated techniques, techniques yeah. And are they more highly educated and that kind of thing? Well, no. so from, you know, we haven't picked up that many people mm-hmm. from that market, but the ones that were picked up were quite well educated, middle class, mm-hmm. you know, very sophisticated professionals. Um, many of them end up in prison for life, the ones we, we saw. Um, and so I think you're right that we, have, we observe a different group of people. Mm-hmm. So you had the kids on the streets who were poorly educated, had, had very little lifetime chances, to um, criminals, organized criminals, who make phenomenal profits, uh, are very sophisticated yes. with all its comp- you know, consequences. Um, it's actually very surprising how much uh, these street markets are struggling. Now we also see they have almost marketing campaigns. So you get weekly messages with, uh, you know, the street offers and buy two, you know, pay, get three. And mm-hmm. there's even in France the example of some lottery tickets. So if you buy a certain type of amount of drugs, you get a lottery ticket. So, so the street market, all, all we know, drugs, it's yeah. exactly. <laughs> it's so really the street market is getting more sophisticated as well then. Um, to They're needing to resort to, to all um, sorts of techniques. Professor Kirschmeier also discovered that gentrification is creating more territorial conflict. It's an interesting phenomenon. Obviously, there's a lot of gentrification in London, like in many other cities, like in New York and so on. And so the people who live there change, it goes up in market, and, and the areas that typically had a gang now get moved somewhere else. So they either established presence in an area where they weren't before, and some of these kids actually commute in now into their old turf and defend it. So they feel more vulnerable because they're not really there. Uh, that also invites other gangs to move into that territory. And it all gets a bit, yeah, bit more unstable. And because it's unstable, violence erupts much more easily. Because everybody carries knife, now people get accidentally stabbed because they're mistaken for somebody else. Um, and then, you know, bystanders get hurt, which don't really have anything to do with it. What does a drug dealer look like? Does it look like an 11-year-old? Does it look like a 22-year-old? So children as young as 11 are being recruited to sell drugs. Okay, good morning, everyone. Um, this one is activity is continuance of Operation Gravity. So Kentline dealers will challenge existing groups in the area, which causes that increase in violence. We all Janet Foster, Associate Professor in LSE's Department of Sociology, is an expert in murder investigations, having spent time observing the work of detectives. Her book, The Real Sherlock's Murder Investigators at Work, is due to be published in 2020. The important thing about 
drugs um, and uh, turf wars. This is that in poor marginalised communities, the drugs economy is, you know, and illicit activity generally is the way that people um, often earn their money. And where you've got drugs, you have money, and then you have the need to um, protect yourself. And it's not only knives, it can be guns um, as well. And so um, many of the cases that I witnessed did involve um, drugs, um, were involved in drug, drug feuds, um, where rival dealers were um, vying for territory um, and ended up in a situation where one killed the other. Um, what is really dispiriting and worrying about those cases is, is that these are precisely the sorts of cases where you get what we call revenge homicides. So one series of actions by one group generates another series of actions by another group and that um, ups the ante and increases the risk of victimisation. So people who are involved in that, those sorts of activities have a multiply increased risk of being um, of being murdered. And as the, the murder cops would say to me, one of the things that's really interesting about that is, is that there are people walking around who you know that, that it's very likely that they're going to end up getting murdered because there is this connection between organised crime, drugs, gangs and um, and you know weapons and in those situations weapons are not being used on the spur of the moment necessarily they're being used in a way that that's a deliberate attempt to be able to to establish the, um, their control on a neighborhood. Professor Kirschmeyer and Carmen Vialera have also researched the predictability of knife crime. Well, we're looking at the the increase in knife crime and um, we were, what we're interested in is where this, this is happening spatially so we look at knife crime rates uh, across London and um, uh, we try to explain this with socioeconomic indicators. So we're trying to find out whether it is austerity or school exclusions or uh, unemployment and so on. And also we know a little bit about gang areas, gang territories or yeah, this is areas in London that are openly claimed by some gangs. So what we find is that uh, these gang areas have more crime overall and there's particular types of crime such as knife crime, uh, possession of weapons, um, public disorder and so on that are particularly well explained by this um, spatial distribution of gangs. Mm. To agree that actually we, you can predict some of, of the areas where a murder will happen mm -hmm. um, which is I think quite interesting. It just you know, so that would obviously help with policing well, or it helps with obviously. social policy or that kind of thing? Well, it has a number of implications. You know, it, it helps with policing tactics. Mm -hmm. Where do we send our people? What do we do? And we can get to that in a second. But also it means that the underlying cause is, in a reason, is well understood or at least reasonably well understood. So it, you know, it doesn't come as a terrible surprise. Yeah, so these are deprived areas um, and who, which have been particularly affected by Correct. Um, austerity. Deprived. And and it's interesting, so um, there are these surveys of our public attitude towards the police and these surveys actually are a good lead indicator for where prob problems arise the following year. Mm -hmm. So people on the street know there's a problem, they have a good handle on it and probably we don't do enough 
at least that type of information. Mm -hmm. The government recently relaxed restrictions on the controversial police tactic of stop and search in an effort to combat knife crime. There is a divergence of opinion as to how effective this will be. Boris Johnson is promising 10,000 more prison places, costing £2.5 billion. An end to automatic release after serving half a jail sentence for violent criminals and extending stop and search powers for the police. Keris Cooper of LSE Centre for Analysis of Social Exclusion has researched the impact of government policy on policing and violent crime. Well, the, the evidence uh, from Stop and Search actually shows that it's not uh, very effective. Um, and this is actually why previously the government took a more restrictive approach to Stop and Search. So we know that when Stop and Search is increased, actually the number of Stop and Searches that led to an arrest, uh, the proportion that led to an arrest decreased. So they weren't being very effectively used. Um, so it's actually unlikely that an increase in Stop and Search is going to help. And it might actually be harmful so we also have evidence that in London recently there's been an increase in the disproportionality uh, with which stop and search is applied. So people from ethnic minority backgrounds are much more likely to be targeted. And this obviously has a negative impact on police community relations. Janet Foster. Stop and search is incredibly controversial, isn't it? And people perceive stop and search as being a coercive and very inefficient um, and ineffectual practice. Um, but uh, there are times when um, serious violence is rising where it's quite important to have stop and search practices. Um, and I'll give you a, a good example from, from um, some research I was involved in where um, the normal suspension of powers meant that police officers were able to stop people <clears throat> on a housing estate um, where they wouldn't have normally been able to stop them. And um, the uh, young police officer stopped a young man who was walking through the development. When he was searched, he had an axe strapped to his back. So there are, <laughs> on a regular basis, people who are walking around with weapons for a variety of different reasons. Sometimes they think they're doing it to protect themselves. Sometimes they're doing it to coerce others into doing things that they want them to do. But in that little instance, you can see that, that the impact of that one stop is actually quite important. <laughs> but the difficulty with it is, is, is that the likelihood of a uniform officer stopping somebody who's got an extract to their back is actually quite low. So the number of stops uh, relative to the number of weapons seized is often quite small. But the important thing about stop and search as a tactic, if it's proportionate and only if it's proportionate, um, is that actually it draws a line in the sand and makes people aware that they are more likely to be stopped and searched for carrying weapons. And there is a moment where things have got out of control, where it is actually quite an important and useful tactic. But I emphasize only if it's done proportionately and it's not being done discriminatory, you know, in a discriminatory fashion. Um, so, so stop and search is, is kind of, it's an emergency tactic. Tom Kirschmeyer believes the increase in knife crime could actually be linked to when Theresa May, as Home Secretary, scaled down stop and search. He was very much against stop and search, and so the stop and search numbers declined very dramatically, and also with it, um, the number of knives that were taken off the streets of London. And now the stop and search numbers are still very low compared to what we observed historically, 
they're coming up again, but nothing like what it was five, ten years ago. Um, but the knife crime explodes. And how I explained this, so we, we taught the kids on the street that you know, they're almost untouchable. Mm -hmm. The police will not do anything against them carrying knives, and so they carry knives. So we educate them in a very negative way. Cressida Dick, Commissioner of the Metropolitan Police Service, has blamed social media, particularly drill music videos, for soaring knife crime rates. She suggested that trivial disputes escalate into violence within minutes when rivals set out to goad each other on the internet. Gangs who make drill videos and in those videos they taunt each other and say what they're going to do to each other and okay. specifically what they are going to do to who. And that's linked so in I'm some... in my Cress's yeah. gang, you're in Nick's gang. Yeah. I will say, Nick, I'm coming after you this week in street speak yeah. uh, and I'm going to put a knife in six inches I've read about and this. then this ten other knives. This is in a recent attack in London, wasn't it? And I do know about and this. It, and it's obviously connected with a recent uh, we attack it? in London. Well, I th I'm working, and I think the Home Secretary, the new Home Secretary will be as well, working very closely with social media companies to, to get them to think about what they can do about this. Um, for, for us, <laughs> if it's against the law, it's against the law and it ought to be taken down. Uh, and if it is inciting in some way gla or glamorising violence, then we think they have a social responsibility to uh, work with us to take those videos down. And we do get some support with this, but actually, obviously, there's a whole counter-argument about freedom of expression and this this is just music, people will say, but I think it has a terrible effect. So I have a lot of time for the commissioner, but I think in this respect I disagree with her because social media is just, you know, it becomes obvious what people talk about. It becomes transparent. So before we didn't know about it, but probably they said the same things. Now it's on social media and we know about it. So it's almost better because we know, whereas we didn't know before. And so once you understand how these kids actually talk, think, argue what causes, you know, what keeps them up at night, you can address it in a better way. Right. And in a way, social media has been around for 20 years before it was called MySpace. Mm -hmm. Or, uh, you know, it was trying to have a YouTube channel and now it's a Snapchat account. So yeah. I don't think that really has changed. Many senior police officers also blame knife crime on government cuts, resulting in 20,000 fewer officers than in 2010. Less than a year ago, Theresa May disagreed. If you look at the figures, what you see is that there's no direct correlation between certain crimes and police numbers. What matters is how we ensure that the police are responding to these criminal uh, acts when they take place, that people are brought to justice. But what also matters is, as a government, that we look at the issues that underpin, that underlie this use of knives and that we act on those. That's a cross-government approach. It's not just about the police, it's about the whole of government, and it's the whole of government that is responding. Then Boris Johnson promised to increase police numbers by 20,000, back to their previous levels. Priti Patel, the Home Secretary, explained why. As we're recruiting 20,000 more police officers, we need them to be out making sure that those that want to do harm are prevented from doing harm. Here's Karis Cooper. In terms of whether increasing police numbers would help, we do have some academic evidence that when uh, there's an increase in the number of police officers, there's a, an associated reduction in uh, crime and vice versa. Um, but this, isn't, this evidence isn't based on violent crimes. So we don't know that it would necessarily um, help. Though there is also some evidence that the reduction in police numbers has resulted in police taking a less proactive approach and less neighbourhood policing as well. 
So um, it's difficult to say it's less clear-cut on whether the increase in police numbers would help. I asked Janet Foster if she got a sense from observing murder investigations that detectives were overwhelmed by the sheer volume of stabbings. The first thing to say is, is that, that the way that knife crime murders are investigated are no different to, to any other murders. There's a kind of, there's a similar methodology um, and it is a meticulous, absolutely meticulous process. Um, are people under stress? Well, I think they're, the police service themselves have been affected by austerity. Um, and although murder is always um, more heavily invested in than other areas of policing because of the severity of the crime, they too have suffered as a result of the cuts. But I think it would be true to say that the way that police officers operate um, in murder teams is really all about, it's focused on uh, the victim, the victim's family, and also the broader implications of um, that murders have on communities. And those three things are uppermost in their minds. So the way that detectives approach murder, even with very um, straight in straightened times with um, limited resources, is to seek to find the people who are responsible and to bring some kind of justice and closure for victims' families. But the thing is, is, is that when you see things from behind the scenes, knife crime is an incredibly distressing, all murders are distressing, but knife crime is very distressing um, because death often results from, um, you know, sort of uh, split-second decisions. Um, it can be as a result of a fight, and because someone is carrying a knife, they get that knife out to threaten somebody in some kind of way, or hope that, that producing that knife is going to cause um, a certain kind of effect. And within moments, within seconds, that knife is in that person and their life is lost. And sometimes we're not talking about huge knives, sometimes we're talking about very small kitchen knives that just in the wrong place result in somebody's death. Sometimes it's about uh, feuds about money or drugs um, and alcohol and drugs are also facilitators in themselves. So people are less inhibited um, in terms of engaging in violence when, when they're um, under the influence of drugs or alcohol. So at a personal level, when you see the impact of these crimes um, on the people who survive, it's absolutely devastating. And it's something that touches murder detectives as much as it touches um, anyone else, because the devastation um, and the ruination of victims' families' lives is just appalling to witness. Um, and their lives are ripped apart by those sorts of crimes. Um, and the problem sometimes is, is, is that the nature of some of those crimes means that there are some youngsters who would rather um, seek reprisals um, outside of the criminal justice system and outside of cooperating with the police. And all that does is create a, a, a further cycle of violence. In London, there has been a 36% reduction in youth services since 2012. And it's a similar story nationwide. Karis Cooper's research shows evidence that a public health approach taken in Scotland was successful in significantly reducing violent crime and believes it could work elsewhere. A lot of senior police figures have spoken about, about, uh, about the cuts to police 
numbers and they've linked this uh, with the increase in knife crime. The government's been focusing recently on county lines, competition between drug selling gangs. Uh, but what's also important and is receiving less attention is actually cuts to local authorities, which has had a knock-on effect on things like youth services, um, other community resources, um, and voluntary organisations, uh, the number of youth workers available, for, for example, and this is also a really important part of the story. Previously in Scotland, um, particularly in Glasgow, they had incredibly high rates of violent crime and homicide, um, and they took a public health approach through the Violence Reduction Unit, um, and this actually comprised of a number of different programs. So it was a multi-layered approach. It involved a number of different agencies working together um, and also included a focus on education and prevention as well. So to give you an idea of the range of different programs, it included things like um, mentoring schemes in schools, um, training uh, vets, dentists and hairdressers to identify potential victims of domestic violence, um, setting up uh, meetings and negotiations with young people affiliated with gangs and offering them routes out in, via support with education and employment. Uh, so really uh, a multi-pronged approach. Um, and this has been shown to be really successful. So the uh, violent crime in Scotland and particularly in Glasgow has significantly declined over the 10 years that this uh, public health approach has been taken. Just a few miles away from where Godwin Lawson was murdered, Martin Griffiths, a consultant trauma surgeon at the Royal London Hospital, is the NHS's first clinical director for violence reduction. He helped set up a pioneering one-to-one -one support service on his wards for young victims using caseworkers from St Giles's Trust, a charity that supports disadvantaged people. His ward sees an average of two patients a day with knife wounds, many under the age of 16. He believes drastic intervention is needed across the country. Here he is talking to the BBC. Just to put away um, <clears throat> resource, shelter, warmth, comfort, parenting, structure. Let's reintroduce chaotic parenting, inconsistent food, inconsistent shelter, no aspiration rather than no aspiration, and, and a group or a society around you in which that behaviour is the norm and put around that a big fence of which people are judging you from and deeming you as being worthless. And let's give you no access to get out of that place. And let's see how you behave. What will happen? It's gonna be explosive. Martin's work has helped reduce the number of patients who recover only to return with another knife injury from 45% to just 1%. Janet Foster agrees that addressing social and economic deprivation is essential to stopping knife crime. At the moment, one in four um, murder victims come from black and minority ethnic groups. That's hugely disproportionate and in London, the majority of victims in London, come, murder victims in London, come from black and minority ethnic groups. It's really important to emphasise that this is not to do with the ethnicity of the people involved. 
it's to do with this accumulative effect of social and economic deprivation, which affects the poorest geographically <laughs> um, concentrated communities in which there are often larger black and minority ethnic populations. So <clears throat> it is really important for us to understand that in a way, um, the distribution of those figures um, is a reflection itself of social and economic factors. So that's, that it, it is really important. That um, number is hugely disproportionate relative to the presence of black and minority ethnic groups in the population. Um, and it's something that needs to be addressed. In a nutshell, how do we stop knife crime? Here's Karis Cooper. So I think the evidence that we have so far is that it's important to invest in um, education and preventative services and also to not think of this as just a criminal justice matter but also to think of the other related uh, services and other uh, related issues that affect people's lives that are important as well so that includes health and education, local communities. Um, so. It does require a more holistic approach than I think is currently being taken. Tom Kirschmeyer. The idea that you can stop it overnight is, is silly. It's impossible. You know, you can do a bit of more stop and search. You can actually show much more presence on the street. You can take the knives off the street. You can show that you're not tolerating it. But as such, you need to invest heavily in the underlying cause. You know, you have to go in, give them proper housing, training, family, structures and so on and then things will slowly get better but by saying actually you know you're all criminals you solve nothing. Janet Foster. With young people I think we have to work intensively with them to find to mitigate the factors that have led them into the situation that they're in um, and we have to work I mean, almost one-to-one -one with them um, to support them to find other means to, um, to make a living, um, but also to work with the communities that they live in because crime is so interlinked with the communities that they're in. So it's a kind of, it's, it's working with them and with communities, but with the funding to in order in order to to make their life trajectories more positive and less damaging. And finally, Yvonne Lawson. Young people seem to think that they've been stigmatized a lot. So often they'll say, stop stop stigmatizing us. We have got potential. We want you to listen. So that those are, you know, young people want adults to listen to them. They want safe spaces where they can engage in. They want educational system where they can actually fulfil their fullest potential and have good outcomes and not just be, you know, I think we need to review our education system and reduce all these exclusions. Um, work with families, support um, vulnerable families and communities. I think all working together. Tell us what you think using the hashtag LSEIQ. This episode of LSEIQ was produced by Ollie Johnson, Brian Walker and me, Joanna Bale. Want to explore more about knife crime? This episode was based in part on the following research. Physical Safety and Security 
Policies, Spending and Outcomes 2015 to 2020 by Karis Cooper and Nicola Lacey. The Real Sherlocks, Murder Investigators at Work by Janet Foster. Join us next time when we ask, is corruption inevitable? For more episodes of this podcast and to subscribe, please visit lse.ac.uk slash IQ or search for LSE IQ on your favourite podcast app. And please consider leaving us a review as this makes the podcast easier for new listeners to discover.